Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets Podcast. Nick Jankowski is here, and I've got a really interesting podcast for you this time around. In fact, I've actually got two podcast episodes because this is a part one, part two series of a really open, honest conversation I had with one of my athletes. So Zach, who's a long course triathlete, is who I sat down with, uh, and we just went through the last three years of working together, reflected on the ups, the downs, the ins and outs, uh, what we've done to be able to train, uh, train him up to be a, a pretty elite age group amateur, uh, triathlete and working through that process all of the things we've ticked along along the way not just the positive improvements obviously there is a lot of that he's had some pretty significant uh, improvements in race results over that that couple of year period and some really rapid improvements as well but we also talk about some of the frustrations along the way and some of the things we've had to change and, and manipulate to be able to see some further improvement so really looking forward to what he can output in this upcoming summer this first part is all about uh, year one and two. So setting the foundations, building him up from a very beginner endurance athlete when he first came and saw me in the lab, all the way up to uh, a very, very good age grouper. T- part two is more the optimization aspect and that really fine uh, fine tuning at the top that we're trying to get every last bit of his performance and, and more so leads into what we're currently doing with him now. So hopefully you enjoy this episode and the part two episode. Keep an eye out for that when it goes up. But without any further ado, let's get into my conversation with Zach, our 70.3 triathlete. All right, so we're going to sit down, have a bit of a chat about realistically the last three years um, in terms of your preparation, training, how everything's gone. We're going to talk about what what that transition's been like since you first came in, did some testing with us, got started with everything really in in terms of triathlon. Where you're at now, um, maybe also some goals for the next little bit as well. So take us back, what led you to walk into the Mets lab for the first time? Um, someone, so after the, I think the first race I did, the first 70.3 I did. Um, Which someone, was Geelong 2020? Yeah. Someone suggested just going in and um, getting a test done, knowing where rough um, zones were, or yeah. just maybe advice on training, seeing you know where aerobically stuff was at, and um, yeah, just having a proper look and understanding a bit more about how my body was working yeah um so i thought that would be a, a good place to start given that i hadn't really done any training um as a foundation point yeah at the at the, at the very beginning yeah because te- like give us a like for those who are watching like give us a bit of a and and sort of listening to this like what did training look like before geelong 2020 because like for a bit of context so that race there for first 70.3 had you done many triathlons prior to that did one Olympic race, yeah. one Olympic so distance race. One Olympic distance race, and we were just saying off camera before on like a crappy road bike, like yeah. just went in and said, yeah. I'll, I'll have a crack at this and <laughs> see what a triathlon's about. <laughs> so doing one Olympic, you go into a 70.3, I got the times on the screen here, like five hours and seven minutes total. So we had a 31 and a, 31 and a bit, almost 32 minute swim, a two hour 36 bike, and then a 151 <laughs> half marathon. For that that prep, and again, this is very foundational starting point just before you then, like, I remember you finished that race and you're pre- pretty much in here within the next, like, week or two, or, I think, from memory. Um, what did your training actually look like in prep for that 70.3? What did you do in the lead up to that? How long were you training for? <laughs> what what kinds of things were you doing? Like, give us a bit of context of, like, why did we have a result like that? Because it'll, it'll set us up for what our follow-up results in the in the race that we've done since sort of then look like. But, like, what what... Reflect back, like what was that training like? Um, what train? <laughs> That's probably that, a good place to start. Like, what were you, were you actually doing I anything? Don't know. Does you anyone know up? what they're doing when they start triathlon? Yeah. Um, 
So I think I think my brother had done a, like a triathlon a few years before, and I was yep. always like, man, that's so cool. I got to give that a go. Um, anyway, that led me to entering that Olympic distance race that I just yep. kind of, you know, turned up for. I don't know how much training I did at all. Yep. Um, and then that kind of I, I don't know. I saw this whole Iron Man thing. Um, I think I saw a bit of footage of Kona or something on the yeah. on the TV, and I was like, got a bit hyped up. No one like, can. Oh, I, I was just I, I was just fascinated. I was like, holy yeah. crap! Um, you know, I think they were just coming off the bike, and the the commentator said that they just ridden 180 k's, and I was like, what is what, this? What do you mean? Yeah. What, hang on, sorry, uh, 180 kilometers. Yeah. Hang on, and then the commentator said, oh, you know, just settling settling in for the marathon run. I'm like. They must call like it must be a short marathon or something, and then I found out that it's a full. Like I was just I was completely gobsmacked that any human was capable of doing that, and I just immediately thought in my brain, I don't think anyone can suffer as much as me. I need to go and do that because <laughs> like, like anyway. So then I anyway that's how I got into yep. the. I think I entered the seventy point three. Um, yep. So I rode my bike a bit. <laughs> You know, um, and when we say like rode rode your bike a bit, like literally just like found a bike, jumped on it, and just went out. Like, is that kind my, of the level we're talking? Like, were you were you thinking about any numbers my, at all, or are you just literally getting out on a bike and just riding my, for an arbitrary amount of time? My father-in-law gave uh, kind of gave me lent me his his old school road bike, so I jumped on that and um, rode. I don't know, down to Sorrento and back a few times, I don't know, an hour and a half yep. or something, I don't, yep. whatever it was. I don't know, I didn't know what power was. I didn't yep. really know what heart rate was. Um, and then did a bit of running, I did a bit of swimming, and uh, that was it, went and raced, and that was the most horrible experience of my life, that run that just went forever and yep. ever and ever, and I was so devastated when I finished. I don't know why someone said to me going under five hours was like a really good result, and yep. I just went over like a five oh seven or whatever it was, and <laughs> I was just so devastated. I, was, yeah. I just I have to go back and fix this. Yeah, I, I can go under five hours. I can do it. I know I can. Anyway, so then I ended up in here testing, and it just kind of it snowballed from there. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it's it's a type of thing like we sort of look back on it now. We probably talk in terms of like a five hour seventy point three going. Oh, like what, what were we doing at a five hour seventy point three? But for a lot of amateur athletes, like getting sub five hours is a pretty significant achievement. So I think the big takeaway there, from my perspective, when I then I first saw you in here, we sort of talk about the context. We look at that initial data set. Um, five, like five hours off the amount of, or the little training that you did, like shows a bit about your predisposition to endurance stuff like you've always sort of felt like you're a bit more endurance inclined than sort of sprint inclined because i mean to be able to go and put out that result off pretty much nothing shows there was already something there it's just a case of we didn't really have anything developed to what it could be um did you always sort of feel that way like like the endurance stuff yeah you suffered you said the run was the longest thing you've ever done it's like i don't want to do that again but did you sort of feel like that was a little bit more manageable than say going out and being a, a sprinter or like a crit cyclist or um, to be honest, before that point in time, I, I hadn't given any thought because yeah. I didn't, I hadn't been playing sport. Like I played sport when I was a kid. I played cricket. Um, I didn't play footy. So I mean, cricket's not really a super aerobic sport. It's not really. Yeah, a, you're not really um, doing a lot, are you? Yeah. But like, I don't know. I was fairly athletic, but never, no. The endurance, yeah. you know, I never, I don't know. I never really thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost, it, it sort of becomes a little bit of a, 
you sort of fall into fall into triathlon and things like that by a little bit of luck. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was one of the first things I remember picking up on in those those like initial tests we did of like some of the numbers that we commonly talk about, like even things like your your fraction of expired options, so that FEO two that like we bang on heaps about here. Like, I remember on. that first one being hang, hang, not hang. too bad. Can we talk about numbers? Are we allowed to talk about numbers? We can talk about numbers, that yeah. so funny. If, if you remember off the top, I, I don't have any of them here specifically from testing, but if you remember some of them, like feel free to throw them out. Um, okay, so I think that first time I came in and tested, <laughs> it was pretty hard. Yeah. Maybe you chucked me on the treadmill um, with the harness on and breathing through the mask. Um, I actually felt like Bane from Batman, you know. Yeah. No one as, ev- as everyone everyone does yeah. in here, Bane, Darth Vader, through it all. Yeah. <laughs> and... I had no idea what any of the numbers, man. I I think, you know, that first test I came in, and I think I was just over 60. Yeah. It might have been 61. That That's relative VO2 max. So, yes. like, mils per kilo per minute, which, again, putting the context on it, is actually still a pretty decent score. So, like, we always go amateur recreational runner, for example, that comes in. If you're cracking 60 VO2, like, you've got a good aerobic end. Like, it's pretty good comparatively. Like, it's doing well. Like it could obviously be better, but I mean, oh. like, do you remember? Do you remember what speed you maxed out at? No, I don't wouldn't have been that. Wouldn't have been anywhere near as quick as what obviously what we're doing no, now. But like, no, no, no way. I mean, it was like pretty solid engine. Like, it's not for someone. Not, hang on, for for Zachy boy who was basically untrained. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what I'm trying to put the context behind. It's like, I mean, like we ha- we have to remember like part of part of endurance and things like that is going to be a bit of a genetic component. But yeah. it's like for someone who's basically untrained, like some of the numbers were actually quite surprising. Realistically, like I remember looking at them at the time, going. Gee, some of these are actually like pretty good. Like you surely have either done more than you're telling me, or you've got a, a, a really good sort of disposition for endurance that you just haven't tapped into. And like we've got something we can work with here. That's so funny because I remember um, leaving the lab and it was like, I, I thought you must have thought that I'd done a whole lot of training and yeah. something like I was probably as fit as I was ever going to get. A bit of a pat in the back, yeah, good on yeah. champ. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was just a it was a funny first. Yeah. I don't know, first testing, yeah. first time meeting you. and Yeah, and I mean, well, from that, like, let's go through what, what sort of then happened in the the months afterwards. Because, like, I mean, if we look at the overall overall progress, realistically, the next major race wasn't until Geelong the following year. So we did 2020, COVID then hits after you've come in, you got some numbers here. What did, what did you then do with that initial bit of information? Because uh, from my perspective it was pretty basic what that first part of the prep looked like in terms of training. A lot of it was just setting, here's what a triathlete generally does week to week. Like, here's some weekly training structure. We probably need to go and complete this amount of volume. Like, what, like nowhere near the amount of volume you're doing now. But I remember it just being a lot of fundamental stuff. Like, let's just get out yeah. and get some basics done. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it was. Um, I think I walked out here and you were like, um, if you're going to go out and run, go or go... <laughs> If you're going to train, go yeah. buy a heart rate strap. Yeah, that's a start. Um, get a bike trainer and, um, you know, you know, try and this is the power if you want to do this. And yeah. if you're going to go and just do an easy run, just keep the heart rate down here and yeah. don't just uh, send it all day every day. And I think it wasn't long after that, I kind of went, um, went away. Don't know if I got straight into training or not. But then I think... Um, if it was just before COVID or maybe when COVID was kicking off, I can't remember, but you guys actually threw up on Instagram a 12-week training package. Yep. Um, and I was like, that's probably a good idea. I want to I want to do that and kind of train properly for 12 weeks and yep. kind of see what happens. Yeah, what does it do? <laughs> um, so I jumped into that and then I think you uh, probably gave me the 
standardest, easiest first lot of training ever. Yeah, I reckon it was the most the most basic twelve weeks. <laughs> pretty, but, but pretty like straightforward. But, but that's but that's also like like when we talk about like relative to where you're at. So it was at that point in time there wasn't really a need for the complex stuff because we knew no. like we're just going to get no. adaptation by just going yeah. out and training in any aspect. If we refine <laughs> it, it's going to be a little bit more optimal. But like at that point in time, you're you're effectively as pretty much as beginner as you can get. You just had some some good traits that you already you already sort of had. Um, we just need to maybe capitalize on a little bit of it. But we like I sort of knew that it's like, well, you don't have to do anything crazy here. Yeah, I didn't get any secret sauce on that first. Nah, not, a, not at all. <laughs> it was... We saved all the good stuff for later. But, <laughs> but I mean, that, that first year then ended up, obviously sort of like in and out of lockdowns and things like that. That first year then ended up with a little bit more, like it became a little bit more serious, that training plan. I remember back end of that year, like we then started looking at a little bit, a little bit more like tweaking, refining. It still wasn't like sort of full on optimization yet from from uh, what I remember programming in there, but we became a little bit more targeted on, all right, let's go back and do Geelong and like see what we can output because we're clearly a lot better. But like it's it sort of, I guess this is probably the point where you sort of transitioned from being absolutely beginner, not doing anything to like, all right, I've done like, like we, if we fast forward to sort of the end of 2020, heading into Geelong 2021 in, in the Feb, you're sort of becoming a bit more of like a fast tracked into an intermediate athlete, would, would you say? Like it's, all right, I've done a bit of training now. Like I know how to use a heart rate monitor. Like <laughs> I know what a power meter is. I know what power readings are. Um, I know what I need to, I know I need to be structurally, structurally doing all right, a couple of bike sessions, a couple of swims, a couple of runs each week. What was then that like sort of feeling like going into Geelong 2021, if we sort of fast forward to there, because we'll reveal race time in a second, but like compared to that first one, you basically did nothing. You go and race it. This time you've done effectively a full year of training, but pretty interrupted. Like in Melbourne here, we couldn't really swim a hell of a lot that that year in COVID. Um, so it was mainly just get on the bike indoor, run when you can. Sometimes we've got a 5K radius that we have to work within. Sometimes we don't. How'd you feel going into Geelong that year? Second 70.3 after doing at least some training. Um pretty confident yeah so like it was interesting actually after the first 12 week um training that we that really basic block and stuff i think i came in and tested not long after that yeah and like it was just like oh holy yep. crap we i can think, I think all of a sudden like, um vo2 max was at 68 or yeah i was gonna say you're nudging there. you're nudging nudging 70, 70 i remember yeah, off that, that was, like a like that initial period and it was just like Again, like the basic stuff then worked. It's like we didn't have to do anything fancy. We just needed to get you training for the most part, which <laughs> and was largely I, just yeah, increasing some volume, doing some smart interval stuff. Like yeah, um, like I think at that point you looked at me and were kind of like, okay, yeah, um, yeah what can we do? Here? Yeah, let's yeah. let's do some more training. Yeah, um, and then got kind of I think you know through that winter coming into summer, aiming I think it was Geelong again. Um, that was the easiest race to kind of get to and I was gonna say that probably would have pretty much been the only real race like yeah 2020 heading into 2021 like yeah coming out of COVID, like, and COVID yeah lockdowns um, we sort of finished over the summer period a bit but then we had obviously went back into them post sort of Geelong 2021 so I reckon that almost could have been like the only race but at least it was a point of comparison yeah so it's like yeah, same absolutely. same course like we know we know what we did last year it's a consistent way to then track some progress so yeah leading in like what like what was your feel in that last couple of weeks like did you think you were going to be able to go significantly better, somewhat better? Um, from kind of, the, you kind of get a feel, I guess, from yeah. what you would, what I was doing in training. It's so funny. I look back now and I go, 
oh, man, I would change so many things. But um, <laughs> we've said that a fair bit, haven't we? It's just like if we if we went back. To you don't know. Months, you don't know. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. But yeah, I didn't know what to expect, and I try to keep my expectations um, super low. And I yep. said, as long as I go under five hours, like I've come here to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I kept the expectations super low, um, and just made sure that I did the training that um, you know you were you were putting in for me. Yeah. And, and again, like a, a lot of that was, like we said, the basic stuff. You've been, like Classic stuff that we see a lot of recreational guys come in and, and do. It's just like we see that your aerobic power initially needs some work. So we, we did the high-intensity stuff. VO2 flew up to close to 70. It's like, all right, we've got a lot more engine to work with here. We do a, a pretty typical sort of just build into the race. Um, start to just introduce the concept of, all right, what does a race-specific block actually look like now because we're heading into a, a, a proper preparation. Ultimately... We come out with a four nineteen at Geelong. Yeah, a bit. I mean, I, I think both of us were probably reflecting on it, probably a little bit surprised that we went that well. Like we probably knew that we were going to do a bit better, and I probably had like a bit of an idea. It's like, yeah, you're probably not going to just scrape under five hours. Like based on what numbers we're sort of saying in the lab, what we're doing in training, I go, you're probably going to go a bit better than that. But I think probably for the most part, we sort of go four nineteen was well above expectation. Like if you'd said that. Post, post Geelong 2020, you do a five-hour, you finish the race, and if someone came up to you and said, hey, next year you're going to do a 419 for this same race, of which your splits were, what, 29 minute 40, so we beat the swim by three minutes. Bike was 18 minutes quicker, so a 218 bike split, and then a 124 run. So we've knocked off, what, 26 minutes basically running. Um, I do have here the little flag. We had some gastrointestinal upset issues during that event, so we'll talk about that in a bit. But... Yeah, if someone said to you like 12 months earlier, in, in 12 months' time, just by going and training and, and refining what, or actually having a plan in the first place, but then refining that plan really specific to what you need, like you would have absolutely taken 419 on the spot, wouldn't you? Like you, you probably can't fathom how much of an improvement. That's like, what are we talking? Like almost 50 minutes improvement, like yeah, in 12 absolutely. months. I was, uh, you know, out of all the races I think I've done, um, that is probably the race that I'm most proud of. Yeah. And walked away probably actually really happy with the with the time um, because I thought that, that was probably the fastest I could go. And um, yeah, it was it was absolutely wrapped. Yeah. And like, yeah, 50, 50 minutes is a massive chunk, like huge <laughs> amount of time. But like, like we said, like gastrointestinal upset issues within that 419. So like physiologically, if we didn't have any of those problems, like it was probably going to be a much quicker time than that. We would have saved... How many minutes do you reckon you, that it cost you a gastrointestinal upset? Because I remember you had a couple of toilet stops on the run and things like that. But that's right. Like what? What it cost you? Right. Like you spent yeah, like five yeah, or six, five or six minutes, I reckon, we lost um, on the run just like yeah. going to the toilet. Yeah. Wow. This is where like because this is raw pre like any of the stuff we even thought about looking at nutrition wise, which yeah. we're going to touch on in this sort of third phase in a moment. But like. This was just going in and being like, I think I need to take a handful of gels. Okay. Like, should ch- probably take some carbs. Like, we had zero strategy because it was just, let's just go and race and see what we compare. So, so um, I forgot to say, the f- yeah. that first Geelong that I ever did, that yeah. first 70.3, I had no idea about fueling. Yeah. I didn't know that, that you were meant to eat. <laughs> and so, literally, you literally, literally take no carbs? In the bike shop. Two or three days before, we're talk- I'm talking to these guys about, I don't know, the race, and they're like, oh, what are you going to eat? I'm like, what do you mean, man? They're like, what are you going to eat? <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I'm not. I think I, I think I bought a gel, and I pumped down 30, a 30-gram 30 gel on the, on the bike. And Over five hours. 
that was probably why took, I went what? so slow on the run. You probably had a bottle of water with you that you sort of slowly sipped on and like... Anyway, um, things developed in that second season. And yeah. Well, you realised you needed to ha- actually that, that start That first season, I guess, of training and then that second yeah. race. Yeah. Um, yeah, realising that you need to fuel. Um, the problem was I kind of... I hadn't at that point in time really you know, dived into the weeds of um, yeah. What's appropriate? the ratios. Yeah, yeah. And even and even like recently what I've been um, really getting into is the type of carbohydrate, whether it's multidextrin, whether you're using straight glucose or whether it's fructose, or whether it's, it, it's a different type of yeah. carb. And the one that is going to be, um, number one, absorbed the easiest by your gastrointestinal system. Mm-hmm. And then number two, not, you know, oh, well, I guess that's, it's not going to cause any problems. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I've found that there's a difference between the different um, the different carb sources, yep. which has been interesting to play with. Which which is definitely going to be, I mean, like the simple one on that is the classic issue that a lot of people run into is they just take too much fructose if they're not able to take on the fructose. Like if you if you're smashing it at the wrong ratio, I mean, like a lot of the companies in nutrition over the last few years moved to sort of like you hear a lot of that two to one ratio. Like where that comes from is basic physiology 60 grams of glucose can get absorbed into our system it, like per hour if we want to try and get to 90 like it, we, we can do that extra sort of 30 through another source um obviously we get to a point where we're starting to take on much more than that and again we'll touch on that as we get into sort of this third phase but like it's it's the type of thing that type of type of carbohydrate is then going to play havoc with your specific ability to be able to take it in when you're taking it on how much of it like the the ultimately the concentration of it but then the source of it like solids versus gels versus fluids um all of that is going to play around with this this factor of is it going to sit in our guts and cause some issues gastrointestinal upset what are the principles that are causing that of which could be what we're taking in on race day and i think part of that as well initially um we sort of and we can get into this with the stuff we've done with like the guys at monash but what you're actually doing in the week leading into, like your preparation fueling can absolutely. play a bit of havoc Ooh, in terms absolutely. of your gastrointestinal upset. It's like, we, we know a lot of problems are going to happen about that three, three and a half hour mark in. Like, yep. is it because of what we're taking on during the race? Was it something we did before? Like, there's a lot of complexity, but individuality to it. Yep. Um, so then, yeah, if you think about like, all right, we actually started fueling up, but you're fueling up into it pretty blind. Like it's the same with our training. It's like, you've, you've gone in that first 70.3 pretty blind. We went in this time pretty prepared from a training sense, but we just went, let's just get some carbs in and didn't really think too much of it. You end up sitting on the toilet a bunch in that that run, like not like do, do you like? Sorry, we we, we were talking. How much how much did that cost me? I think I yeah. timed it. I think it was. Um, you reckon it was in the realm of five or six minutes at least, or you reckon more? I'm gonna say conservatively, it was at least two to three, um, and I've never been so angry. Yeah. In a. Do you want to describe that process on the run of like what that feels what, like? What ripping off a, a suit? Like, and no, so we don't have to get <laughs> we don't have, we don't have to get necessarily graphic here. But like, do you want to just like can you like if you can remember back like going on the run and, and starting to get those symptoms? Like, what did it initially feel like? Like just very briefly, it's like were you feeling pain in your guts? Were you just feeling not well? Were you feeling like you wanted to spew? Like, was it just that sensation you need to go to the toilet? Like, what did it feel like? And then, yeah, ultimately, what you have to do? Rip the suit off and get out whatever you could. Great, great question. <laughs> um, what's really interesting is like through the work that Monash that you've kind of just mentioned, they go through, they run through this little um, checklist with you every so often and they will run through all the potential gastrointestinal issues you could have like, you know, belching, yep. um, upper, 
lower GI. So for me, it's always lower. It's always it's always it's never going to be the stomach. Yep. It's always the bowel. Um, and if anyone knows Geelong, that course well, you come out of transition, you start hitting, you hit that flat se- section through the main. Um, I guess where everyone is, and then you start to go up the, up that little bit of a little bit of a hill, hill yeah, um, down towards the the far end of the course, and I think it was on that hill, um, on the first lap that I really started to notice just that screaming coming from the bow saying, "Dude, we need <laughs> to hit trouble. the eject button." Yeah, um, and you put up with it as much as you can, but it gets to the point where. Um, the other thing they ask you at Monash is on a scale of one to ten, how much am I thinking about the the symptom, and how much am I thinking about what I'm actually doing? Yeah. And if this goes past, you know, a seven, this is getting to like a place where it needs to be action. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And if you're on the run, I remember coming down that um, the little windy section and along to the the waterfront, and I'm at I was at a nine, if not a ten already, and <laughs> yeah. I don't know how and things like, won't. This is not good. coming out. Yeah. Um, and I'm just so glad that there was a toilet there as I was going into the bay or into the bush or something. Um, yeah. Which I'm sure not like good. this is something that so many people struggle with. Yeah. Which is um, it's it's such an easy fix. Yeah. But it does take time. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I remember like that was sort of our main point of contention post that race was like physiologically we ticked a lot of boxes of what we what we wanted yeah. to achieve in that 12 month period like we, we, you were you were flying along great you could, you could see like yeah. you know you're a great physiologist um and you could see we'll, you we'll, could, we'll take that <laughs> you could see what i could do yeah um and how i could perform but it doesn't matter like racing at that intensity you got you need to take in carbohydrate um yeah. and so that was becoming as a focus for what what we're yeah. trying to achieve you you said to me like we need to focus on this and you need yep. to dial this in. This needs to be more relevant for us. You need yeah. to. We need to. This is yeah, this is a thing yeah. we need to work on. Yeah, because like at, at some it gets it gets to a point like that where you've knocked off a massive amount of time. We sort of go physiologically like you're doing as like getting to a point where you're like you've you've progressed really fucking fucking fast. It's like <laughs> a way to put it. Like excuse the language, but like you've progressed so quick that like we go how much more of that just continuing to just bang ahead and just train and train and train is going to do like at that point it's it's starting to be quite minimal how much further we're going to gain by just looking at that we now have to look at these other options and it's like the easy fix is if we can knock off a few minutes just by not having any of those symptoms like we're really in a much better spot but then also it's like well if we're going to start racing much faster now like that's a different it's a different workload different intensity requires more energy requires a greater fueling strategy which if we can't work out a way to get more carbs in without having those problems, like it's just not going to work. Like at some point in time, we're going to keep getting to the same point where we have the same gastrointestinal upset. We end up doing the same race result worse. We might go a little bit better, but like we're always limited by, by something. And it's one of those things that like to this point, we hadn't even started really looking at being aggressive on bike fit and aerodynamic. Like we're just talking about basic stuff. That's going to help you just keep moving along. Cause if we can get to the end of the race and you don't have any symptoms, like, we're going to go faster because yeah. you've got you've got the ability, like you said, that's that sliding scale of are we focused on what we're doing and pushing ourselves harder, or are we focused on needing to go to the toilet? Like on that sliding scale, if we can eliminate it more and push it more to the point of I can focus on just going faster here and just or even just maintaining intensity here, like we're going to come out with a much better race result, which ultimately is what we then majorly <laughs> focused on for the next twelve months. All right, so then we look post that 
Um, in this time, like heading after that second 70.3 is when we started doing some other races as well, wasn't it? It's like we started to incorporate some Olympic distance. Uh, was that more so the, than the following season? You probably would have done one after Geelong that year, maybe? In like the March, maybe? So I think I actually started racing the 2XU series. Yep. Um, that, I'm gonna, I don't know, what do we call it, year one? Yep. So I started training with you coming out of summer. Yep. Sorry, I don't know, probably more going into winter. Yep, um, 2020. And then, so it was that next yeah. season that I started doing some of those 2XU races. Yep. Yeah, so we started in- increasing like when those started <laughs> popping up, purely for the fact of like just racing. Like I had yeah, a race. I was gonna say like just transition. The, what the yeah. hell's a transition? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean you have do to it. put your shoes on? Yeah, what? like yeah, because was that was the other thing. Like oh, we don't man. have transition splits here, but I remember don't like, read them an, out. Another sim- another times, yeah, another simple fix. Like oh. we talk about gastrointestinal upset being a simple fix, but just like exactly what you spent practicing 10 minutes in T two. Yeah, like we're burning so much time just in transition because it was like. The, the more you race and understand the racing process and like, all right, what what's my, what are my routines in transition? Like, do I put my helmet on first, then my sunnies? Or what, am I putting like left shoe on, right? Like those subtleties can just save you like a couple of seconds here or there. But when we talk about, um, when we talk about like a sprint or Olympic distance race, obviously that's critical. When we talk about 70.3, like, yeah, if you're, if you're burning like 10 minutes into transition when you only really need to use three, like that's a, that's such easy gain of time. Yeah. Um, and it's just all this practicing. So going and just practicing racing more and getting a sense yeah. of like, what does this triathlon racing process mean for different distances? Like, can we challenge ourselves in different ways? Can we just go like, what, what does it mean to go all out for an hour really in like yeah. a sprint distance race? Or what does it mean for an Olympic? Which, for me, it well, means pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I was, was, was going to say, that's, it doesn't matter. That was an interesting thing we identified. We sort of, <laughs> looked at and you sent me a you sent me a critical paragraph the other day actually which is pretty uh, funny sorry or like, or a critical a, a power no, curve a straight line yeah a, a linear a linear power curve <laughs> um basically we sort of started to identify that and i guess this is where then your triathlon is always has naturally just sort of focused more and more on long course triathlon yep. which is a critical point looking at those individual traits of we've we started incorporating sprint and olympic distance and what we started to notice more and more and we've we've learned over time is that there's such there's a very small gap in terms of pace for what you've got at sprint distance for what you have at 70.3 and potentially what we predict it may be full distance as well but we haven't really gone fully into that path maybe at some point we've discussed it a few times about full distance but we'll, we'll worry about it for another day but we sort of looked at like there's not much gap between what pace you're holding in those races so we went like what do we want to focus on here do we want to be more of a long course or a short course athlete because the, the demands <laughs> change a little bit and we sort of went well the fact that you're running kind of similarly in a 10K Olympic distance to a 5K versus almost what we're sort of getting at half marathon distance as well. Like there's not much changing here. Long course, definitely more you go. Having said that though, we started getting to a point where you're starting to do do pretty well at those races. I'll let you introduce the stat that you gave me before (laughs) off camera around what's your your win-loss record at the the Melbourne Olympic distance races that I've had in the last couple of years? Um, What I will say is that (laughs) that first... The um, first Olympic you did before the first 70.3? Yeah, where I just turned up and I had nothing training. You went and did one Um, of those, so you didn't win that one. Who knows where I came. Yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. Um, I think I I went like two hours and... 25 minutes or two and a okay, half hours but like distance yeah. i had no idea what yeah. i was doing man i don't even know how i finished i was like i hadn't trained like, yeah you did it anyway i did it fast forward though what's our win loss um, of the last six races so then i 
did some training and then that's that get first to. Olympic distance race for yeah. the year I turned up to and I was looking around at the end of the race going where is everyone not many people here yep um, but I guess everyone anyone who was cluey and wanted to train properly probably yep. had pissed off to a different state so yeah possibly. it was it was it was a really good combination of things for me because yep. it was a like a bit of a confidence booster um, and maybe boosted the self-belief a little bit because yep. I was like oh okay maybe I can do okay at this yeah um, but yeah I don't know I can't remember the last Olympic distance to actually race that I've lost <laughs> you're pretty humble about the start six from six so you've raced what set we said before you raced seven Olympic distance races and you've gone six from six in the ones that you've actually trained for the, the seventh one was that original one this is obviously age group racing so like we're not talking um we're, we're talking about winning age group here which like i probably should have raced elite. you probably you probably should have raced you probably should have raced elite. like open or elite but it's a type of thing that we sort of go realistically you're still only like three or so years in like this would be your fourth racing season from uh, a 70.3 perspective Oh, I don't know. Do we know? I'm just chucking out that first one. I'm like, this well, is, but this like if, if we look at if we look at July 2020, this is yeah. year three. This is year three in terms of a preparation cycle, but year four in terms of like you've actually gone out and done a race yeah. in that season. Yeah. Um, so so we're still very much like I think it's like definitely still appropriate the racing age group, but uh, like it's it's not exactly like you're in a an easy age group. Like for all of this, you've been 25 to 29. You're now what 30, 34. Like. We're in competitive balls, man. Yeah, not really. Um, you're only just in there, but you're in like arguably some of the most competitive male categories, and like the series down here in Melbourne's a quite competitive series at Olympic distance. You get some solid athletes in there. Like Geelong's a very competitive race. Melbourne seventy point three is a very competitive race. Um, so so it's not like the, these are just going and sort of like they're local races. Not many people rock up. Like these races are pretty big events. Like we're sort of talking like thousand plus athletes. Um, your age groups are always sort of the heaviest like dominance of athletes in that sort of 25 to 35 or 40 sort of range most athletes are that category so you come to have some pretty good wins so I, I i think that like you said that confidence booster of being able to go you know i can stack it up against some pretty solid amateur athletes here like i'm i'm actually pretty suited to this sport and i can do well i mean it's a good stat to have and like like as much as we go we haven't ever really focused on that distance it's just a byproduct of You've got pretty good aerobic development over the last little while, and we've trained quite well for seventy point three. It's translated most of the way. If you wanted to go and race Olympic distance, like we'd have to change things drastically if that was going to be your focus. Like it obviously requires a different, a different preparation. But it just goes to show, like how much, how much development we've sort of been able to go through by just building the the fundamentals, having a long course focus, but it still translates elsewhere. Like you can still go and race these shorter ones and still be quite good. Um, particularly at the amateur level, it probably changes slightly when we talk about elite, but like, that's a pretty handy stat to go from not really knowing what the sport of triathlon was and being involved in it to then going, well, your last six races, winning your age group, like pretty comfortably. Um, all credit to the, the work you put in largely, um, of which that then sort of leads us into our last block of long course races. So do we want to go, if we just take a little bit of a step back, some of the testing you did at Monash, if we sort of just highlight uh, who they are. So down the corner from us, Monash has a research testing facility. They focus on ultra endurance, like nutrition, bunch of great dietitians, um, some really smart guys working in there around uh, like what what's going on, how do we identify these issues, how do we prevent them? 
fun, fundamentally, it really came down to changing a bit of your diet leading into racing. Yeah. Like, do you want to just quickly describe a bit of that? Because then we'll get into Geelong 2022. So beginning of this year, um, go back, we race that same course for the third year in a row. We obviously go a little bit quicker again, mainly because we changed some GI upset stuff. And that's largely from the data you got and the insights you got from doing some of that extensive testing with the with the dietitians there. So what, what, what were the key findings out of that? Why were we having gastrointestinal upset? Um, okay, so there's... there's if a, you can break it down simply, because it is quite complex, yeah, but if we keep it simple, what were the main things? Okay, so there's pre-race, and mm-hmm. then there's obviously in the race. Um, so pre-race, at a pretty simple level, I mean, you just want to keep your food as simple as possible. Yep. Um, so specifically, what they looked at and what I've found works, no problem, is um, three days, keep it um, low FODMAP. Which is? I'm not going to try and pick that acronym apart. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, what, like, what are fermentable in, carbohydrates? I was going to say will... in, in practice, what are, what are the substitution? Like, what's an example of a, a food that you're going to eliminate in that period, but a food that you might consider taking? Like, so garlic would be is a great example of a um, FODMAP food. Um, so you're getting rid of that? Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, just just simple things. Um, and then. I guess so. FODMAPs, that's one, and mm-hmm. then um, 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 low, 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 low. What's it? What do they call it? Not um, low fiber, but yeah. low. Um, oh, I can't think of what it's called. Describe it then. What, so what, what? so that there won't be a whole bunch of stuff backing up in your GI system. Yeah. Um, low residue. Residue. Low residue. Low FODMAP. Yeah. Um, low irritants. Yeah. So. I mean, what does this look like? It means like... Um, yeah, give us some know, like meal examples. Like cutting what, what, out. Yeah. So um, just keeping food super simple. But, you know, subbing out, you know, the normal bread that you're eating, um, wheat, yep. um, can be an ir- irritant for some people mm-hmm. and the gluten can be an irritant for some people. Um, so just subbing that out with a, like a substitution, um, there's, there's a load of brands out now that are all over this stuff. And it's easy to, it's so easy to do. Yeah. Um, but that's massive. Three days before the race, um, focusing on that, having going into a plan, um, knowing what you're going to eat. I yep. actually order the meals. Yep. Like for three, two or three days before, like a big race is like an A race. Um, frozen meals, low fod, low residue, low, and it's so easy. Um, so that's the first part. So that's yep. pre-race. You get into the race, you know you've got nothing in your stomach, you know that there's not going to be any sort of um, disasters happening. Then you've got um, during the race. So the big one for me was actually um, fueling appropriately, mm-hmm. working out what fuel I could take on that wasn't going to cause a problem. Um, and then making sure that at race intensity, I could take in the fuel and I actually had to train up my gut. Um, there's a bit involved in that because obviously the longer the longer you go or the further you get into a race, um, especially like we talk, start to talk about over three hours. Yeah, that three to three and a half hour mark. Like Every time we go and have a discussion with Ricardo and the guys at Monash, they talk about that being a critical mark, isn't it? It's like yeah. things change at that point. This is uh, where yeah. there's you know a lot more blood getting sent to other parts of your body that are working hard. Yeah. So if you haven't had stable blood flow to these yeah, these it, areas for a long time, yeah. things can go really bad. Um, 
you know, even the simple one of making sure that your stomach, you know, things are actually passing from the stomach to the bowel. Um, so I had to do a bit of work on that because it's interesting. We did a bit of stuff measuring hydrogen. Yep. Um, coming in here, uh, just actually see how much was passing through and how much was sitting. Um, super interesting. So being able to train that. So what are we talking about by training that? Um, sitting on the bike trainer with a stack of solid food in yep. front of me. Yeah, like, make it as when you say make it as difficult as you can, isn't it? It's yeah. like it's like what's a hard way to get the fuel in to get to get us used to it. <laughs> Ricardo flaming sends off those ultra boys with hot dogs with sauce yeah. and cheese on them. And oh, that, sound, them. that sounds awful, but it's like to train their gut. Yeah, I'm sure it works. So yeah, so for you know long rides, eating solid food so that keeps the sphincter between the um, stomach and the bow open yep. so once you like you got to train this stuff up it's not, it's not gonna happen yeah yeah it takes a bit of work <laughs> because we're yeah. talking about a lot of stress on these vital yep. organs yeah um so that was a massive part of it yep then there was working out you know the right amount of carbohydrate to take in and getting the sources right yeah and the mixture right yep that was another massive one and that just takes time experimenting yep. um and then there's the okay you did it sitting you know riding super easy at 200 watts for yeah. four hours how do we do it at race how intensity? do you do it yeah balls to the wall with your eyeballs <laughs> poking out yeah lactate out your ass yeah. um but well not for me um no, no your, your blood your blood lactate is excessively low comparative <laughs> to most but but yeah it, it's exactly right it's like it's this it's this slow process over time of like we have to go and train this stuff like just yeah. like we go and we train to get physiologically better to be able to just turn the pedals on the bike or go and run. Like we have to train our body to be able to take on the appropriate amount of nutrition to come in. Um, for, my, for, uh, I'm just, for most people, yeah. like we talk about, oh, train hard, oh, no, get my bike power up, get my run speed up, get my swim yeah. up. It's like, okay, you're going to save two minutes or you're going to save, I don't know, you, oh, well, in three minutes quicker or five minutes. Dial in your nutrition yeah. for a 70.3, for an Ironman, yeah. oh, I Make saved half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to stop and use the toilet. Or yeah. I, hang on, I finished. I had energy all the way through the run. Yeah. Oh, because I was able to take in the carbs all day and yeah. it was the right... And yeah. Just these things, they save so much time. Yeah, because yeah, and that, I think that's... It's such a simple thing that people forget, isn't it? It's like, you go out, like you say, you go out, you train harder, 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 but you don't train that aspect of getting the fuel in. And a lot of people just forget that at the end of the day, really simply, it's just a process of like, if I want to run... This quick, I need a certain, I need this amount of energy, and if that energy is available, I can run this fast. Exactly if that energy right. is not available, I cannot run this fast. I have to slow down. So if you're not refueling, it's like it just doesn't work. This is a bit of a side point. But yeah, I know go you, for it. You're gonna love this. This will be fun. Yeah. I know in that second year, I was coming here, you know, listen to these podcasts and stuff, and um, oh, low carb, Nick. And, oh, we oh, need to go. We need to. Oh, my fat max. And, oh man, fat oxidation. I, I remember and the discussions we had around some of this. You stuff, were just looking it's like, at me, banging your head. Going, it's you're an idiot. It's the classic. Like from my side of the fence, I say this a lot, and I went through this a number of years ago in terms of like what we call the Dunning Kruger effect. Of like you, you start to learn enough information that you think you know everything. <laughs> you know enough, and and I reckon it was at that point where you're right. It's like you started jumping on some of the like some of the podcasts that like I was going and listening to, or like you're finding podcasts, you listen to stuff, you read some blog articles, and we're having this conversation about like yeah, we just have to go in all the like fat. It's like you, you go go speak to. Rick. I was like, I feel like sometimes I was just kind of like, go speak to Ricardo. He's like, he's the dietitian. And what does Ricardo say? You need carbs. He said, yeah. He said carbs make the world go round. Like, um, I, even, <laughs> I even, I think I even gave the like super super low carb stuff a mm. go for a while. Yeah, that was an interesting BO two max test. Yeah. Um, went in there, 
and basically, you know, I I think I never ever get to a plateau in a VO two max test. It it's just I, it gets too hard. And yeah, I, you just run you just I run just, out of ability to produce yeah. the intensity. Yeah, yeah, that's always been. Um, but that one test where I'd just pretty much been keto for I don't know a little while. Yeah, I went in there and it was a plateau, and I was just looking at it going. Holy crap, my yeah. whole top end is gone. Yeah. Carbohydrate oxidation was at like <laughs> nothing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, Ricardo, I got off the treadmill and I think you and Ricardo just looked at each other and Ricardo just said to me, dude, what are you doing? Like, yeah. Just go on it. You, you need to eat. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting. I mean, this comes up. Yeah. I heard an awesome quote the other day on um, Empirical Cycling's podcast. Mm. The... The, the, the saddle doesn't th- those ATP like those yeah. they're not marked There's not, this one came from fat and this one came yeah. from carbohydrate like we're just talking about aerobic energy guys very 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 basic physiology here we were actually chatting about this before because I was, I was reading through some old textbook stuff and, and it, you're spot on it's like at the end of the day how our like the bulk of our aerobic energy is generated as a result of gut, like molecules going through the Krebs cycle and going through electron transport chain regardless of if they come from Fats or carbs, protein can be there as well, but we scrap that because we're never really going to use it. Fats or carbs are our two primary fuel sources for energy from an injury or from an exercise perspective. Both of those molecules, before they get into the major part of the process, Krebs and electron transport chain to give us the ATP and the energy we need, get broken down into the same molecule, acetyl-CoA. Same molecule. Like you said, it's not tagged, oh, this amount of ATP came specifically from this carbohydrate molecule. It all ends up being the same thing. Like, yes, there's going to be some different uh, byproducts and things that come out as a result of it, and there's some slight subtleties. But the bulk of the ATP that's generated aerobically, it all goes through the same pathway because it comes out from the. It's it gets into the same starting point for all the major stuff that then happens. Yeah. And so it's like like as long as we understand that we can get energy in, it's like well, where are our preferential fuel sources? Let's not cut one channel off. Let's not just go through the fat side. So we said this before, it's like you go through fat only, that's all you have to use. You can get a lot of energy, but it takes you a lot longer. It requires yeah. a significantly greater amount of oxygen. So much oxygen. So you're just not as economical. You, you might be able to last longer because you've got more fat stored, but you're going to have to go at a much lower intensity because you can't sustain that higher oxygen consumption. Um, alternatively, on the other side, if you just go carb, we're going to run out of carb because we know there's a limited, like much more limited supply. Yep. Let's use both. Yeah, like, let's maximize um, the total picture because, like you said, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Comes from fundamentally, it all ends up at the same point. But if we maximize both sources, that's where our ultimate endpoint is going to be. Um, that's really interesting you say that because I feel like so we're kind of talking about year two in terms yeah. of training here, um, where I was getting all these crazy ideas and stuff, and kind of relaying it back to you. Yeah. So that wraps up our part one of the conversation I had with our 70.3 triathlete, Zach. Hopefully you got plenty out of that first uh, part of the podcast. Keep in mind, there is a part two. So the further optimization and what we're coming up to is exactly what we just left on there. So we'll pick that up in part two. So keep an eye out for that one. But if you've got any uh, any ideas or you want to hear more of these types of podcast episodes where we do sit down and talk to athletes or we talk to other coaches, whatever it might be, let us know. Head over to our Instagram, at Mets Performance, send us a direct message and let us know on there. Or you can get directly in contact with me, nick at metsperformance.com. If you want to send me an email, let me know what you want to hear more of on this podcast. You want to hear more episodes like this, as I said. So keep an eye out for part two coming up very, very soon. Hopefully enjoy this first one and we'll catch you in the next one.